If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The Michael Reed Show. Friday morning, the 25th of October. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11 a.m. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. Irregular voting by Niall Collins, Timmy Dooley, Lisa Chambers and Barry Cowan came under scrutiny in the Dáil yesterday as the Ceann Corla's report into so-called Votegate was published. Members belong to an institution that is a cornerstone of and plays a central part in our democracy. They have a fundamental duty to behave in a manner that supports and reflects this and should endeavour to avoid comment or action that undermines the institution of Parliament or how it is perceived. But the Ciancorla found the four Fianna Fáil TDs had undermined the integrity of Dáil It is sobering to reflect on the voting irregularities that occurred last week and under no circumstances can they be allowed to happen again. Despite the adverse findings, uh, the Ciancorla explained why there would be no sanction taken against the four Fianna Fáil TDs. Due process uh, must be followed. So those who would want to see some sanction taking place here today, I'm afraid you're going to be disappointed because process, due process, must be followed. No sanction perhaps, but the political judgment was swift. These actions have caused damage to the doll, not because people particularly care which seat we sit in, not because people are particularly interested in political squabbles, but because people care deeply and passionately about the quality of their democracy. The actions of Fianna Fáil reflect the worst politics of low standards in high places. They reflect themselves again as cavalier, as arrogant, as entitled. They show an absolute disregard and disrespect for the Constitution, for the Oireachtas, for the institutions of governance, but most importantly, for the electorate themselves. Because we're elected here, all of us, to represent people, and we take very serious decisions. This isn't a game. We pass budgets, we make decisions on public spending, we make law, we amend law, we change law. And our people have every right to expect that grown-ups are elected here and behave in a grown-up fashion. 
Ouch. The Sinn Féin President, Mary Lou MacDonald, uh, speaking in uh, the Dáil yesterday, and we're joined now by Mary Lou MacDonald. Uh, very good morning to you. Thank you for joining us here on uh, the programme this morning. Uh, this saga is far from over. We have to get reports from the Committee on Procedure and another committee on members' interests. Uh, but what is the solution to the problem? We've heard all sorts of uh, suggestions uh, about uh, voting cards or other ways of identifying identifying people uh, through thumbprints or eye retina or whatever. But what do you believe is the solution? Well, good morning, Mike. <clears throat> it's nice to talk to you. Um, I actually don't believe that the problem is that the electronic voting system as it's going to exist. I mean, it's, it's not faulty. Uh, you press a green button for tall, a red button for kneel. There's a blue button then for stain for an abstention. The issue isn't the system, the issue is the behaviour of a certain cohort of PDs. So I think the answer to this is a change in behaviour by those PDs and, and absolute clarity that in the event that you vote for colleagues who are absent from the doll and therefore act in defiance, not just of the standing orders of the doll, but of the constitution of the state, that there are in fact consequences uh, for that. This is an attitude mm. problem that, if, if I could say, Fianna Fáil in particular seem to have. They regard the doll as almost their personal property. They play fast and loose. Um, and I, I think we've seen this most spectacularly now with the actions uh, of deputies uh, Niall Collins and Lisa Chambers, both of whom voted for colleagues that were absent from the doll. And this isn't, you know, some, some people perhaps might listening to the programme because I'm very aware of the big issues that are out there, housing, homelessness itself, health, access to health, home care. Yeah, but this political it's weapon has been handed to you on a, a plate and uh, impossible for you to resist. The p- political point scoring uh, is uh, pretty much incredible uh, and uh, it's rare that an opportunity like this uh, arises, I suppose, uh, for opponents of a political party. And uh, oh. you're, you're, you're not left wanting, nor is Fine Gael, and perhaps this is feeding into the timing of a general election. Well, you see, um, you may regard this as political point scoring. All right. Uh, I would say to you, if you cannot trust that the votes cast in the doll, in the parliament, are cast legitimately, it opens up a whole can of worms, up to and including the legitimacy and accuracy of decisions taken in the doll. And uh, as I said in my remarks yesterday, you know, we're not, we're not mm. playing games under that. We're the people who are charged with making very, very serious decisions, funding for hospitals or not, funding for transport or not. I know, but, but this might give you uh, this might give you some sort of uh, a lifeline, some oxygen for your party, which is on life support uh, since you took over as president of uh, the party. There's the prospect of uh, an election on the 29th of November, uh, and it's possible that uh, you could uh, see the same sort of achievement that you had in the local elections. You lost half the seats in the local elections. You could lose half of your seats in the next doll election, couldn't you? Well, well, this issue is not of our making, this, this day back around voting. It's entirely the handiwork of Fianna Fáil. And, and I have to say to you, Mike, elections 
are now elections aside, I think as, as a political leader that I would be absolutely irresponsible and I would be failing in my duties if I was not to, behave, not to challenge that kind of sleeving behaviour by Fianna Fáil TDs. That's my view. You may have a different view. And the election... Oh, no, I don't, I, don't have a, I don't have a different view. I'm just saying that uh, politically it could be very welcome for your party given the state it's been in since you took over in 2018. And I'd imagine that outside of this you'd dread the thoughts of any election given your experience so far losing two MEPs in the European elections, half of your councillors in the local uh, elections and then there was that disastrous presidential campaign. Well, no, um, I'm actually on my way to leave. As you know, I've been meeting with Councillor Johnny Dorsey since selected as our candidate uh, in Mead West. Uh, and our, our, our second lead candidate, of course, is Darren uh, O'Rourke. Um, and Johnny and I will be out and about in yeah. Old Castle and Trim. We'll be meeting people, talking to people. The politics is uh, ebb and flow politics well, you, you, challenging and you, hi- you highlight you highlight some of the challenges your party faces uh, you've no credible chance of taking a, a doll seat in either of the Mead constituencies and you're going to lose a seat in Louth well I, I think uh, with the greatest of respect to you, the people that will decide that we're running a formidable candidates I'm sure you'll agree with me the Councillor Johnny Gurke is hard working energetic I can't imagine a better advocate transport well you, do, you 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 probably would have you probably would have told us uh, back in 2016 that there was nobody better than Patter Tobin and of course he he'll be standing in this uh, election uh, and I'm sure you'll agree he's in with a good chance of getting a seat I think everybody who stands in, particularly, yeah. of course, people who are... So that rules Johnny Gurk out. I, I don't think Darren O'Rourke is a particularly credible candidate, given the uh, candidates that will be standing in Meadies. But, of course, he's poised to go to Europe when Matt Carthy takes a seat, as you hope, at least, uh, in Monaghan. Well, Mike, unlike um, yourself, perhaps, I'm going to allow to the, to the good wisdom of the people of Meath to make their selection in terms of who uh, represents them in the all. I am saying, without fear of contradiction, that both in Johnny Gurk and um, in Darren O'Rourke, we have formidable, capable and committed candidates. Well, it would be an awful thing if you didn't say that. Of of course it would be an awful thing if you didn't say that, so you would say that, wouldn't you? But is it right to say that if Matt Carthy takes a seat in Cavan Monaghan, uh, that Darren O'Rourke would be co-opted to Europe? Darren's on the list, uh, that's right. But there's a lot, there's a lot of water to flow under several bridges before we get to, we get to that point. And uh, elections for, for any political party are a challenge. You have to go out, set out your stall, win the confidence of people. I don't take any of that for granted. I'm not arrogant in that regard. Uh, so we'll enter into this uh, election offering people okay. the alternative. And, and Mike, for people who, who genuinely want an alternative, a different politics, a different way of doing politics. Yeah. And Finnegan, Fianna Fáil, Fianna Fáil, Finnegan. Yeah. Well, there's, lot, there's, the, there's, the, there's lots of different parties. Sinn Féin is one of them. Uh, and I'm sure that's a, a valid point. Uh, but Matt Carthy will be the candidate then for Kevin Monaghan, will he? Uh, Matt will be running on Kevin Monaghan. They're okay. actually running okay. um, two yep. candidates yep. there. Odd, he, 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 uh, he couldn't he confirm be, that he will be. during the European election campaign. He will be he will be joined on the ticket by Pauline Tully, um, mm-hmm. who's a, a yeah. captain woman. So it's a very very strong and, and well balanced ticket. Are, are you ready to fight an election on the twenty ninth of November? 
Yes, we'll be we'll be ready to fight the election uh, whenever it is. It's not in our gift, Mike, to mm. decide when the election is. That's a matter for the government partners of Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil, and they will judge that. I have no doubt with the with the whole Brexit backdrop uh, in consideration, and they'll they'll call it no doubt at a time uh, that best suits them and and their electoral prospects. But and it'll be it'll be your first election, Mary Lou Macdonald, as president of uh, Sinn Féin, first general election as president of uh, Sinn Féin. Uh, will you, like your predecessor, uh, expect questions about the IRA? Pardon me? I said, will you be expecting questions to be put to you about the IRA? I will expect questions to be put to me uh, about every uh, and all matters, and I would hope that the questions are put uh, with the objective of creating life and not heat and uh, that those questions of journalists and all of us would do our jobs in an open democracy and give people the fullest information, the fullest sense of political parties, our, our aspirations for the future, our direction in terms of policy development, our solutions. Mm. It has to be about solutions for housing, for health, for the things in real people's lives that cause them angst uh, and hardship. Like the Quinn family in Monaghan. And when you canvass with Matt Carthy in Monaghan, uh, will you uh, tell uh, the Quinn family uh, that their son Paul was not a criminal? Or do you believe that he was murdered by the IRA? Every single uh, family who lost uh, a loved one in the course of the conflict deserves our support, uh, deserves our respect, uh, and deserves to know the full truth of what happened in the case. Was Paul Quinn killed as part of the conflict? And and that is not, that is not a a position that I take up in terms of exceptions or uh, respect afforded to one set of people as against another. I think that needs to be universally applied. So was Paul Quinn killed as part of the conflict? No, uh, Paul died uh, at, at the end of the conflict in very, very difficult circumstances for, for his family. He had a very, very hard and brutal Was he death. a victim who died and in the course of the conflict, as you put it? No, no, he didn't. I've, I've answered that for you, Mike. And I, I'm not here to, to defend in any way the very, very brutal uh, death that uh, Paul Quinn endured. And for his family, I'm sure to this day, it's, it's a matter of huge... Well, I was speaking to his mother, Brage, last week and she asked Conor Murphy to retract that statement that he made to Newsnight Television a number of years ago suggesting that the IRA didn't do it and that he was killed for other reasons uh, and the implication was that he was involved in criminality and oil smuggling or something like that. Uh, would you ask Conor Murphy to retract that for Breach? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm making no such uh, implication and I'm, I'm not going down the road of... Uh getting into a, a verbal tennis match with you or playing games in circumstances for, where families were very deeply hurt. The Quinn family, like every other family, deserve the absolute truth. So you're, uh, um, and, mm. and, Mike, it is the job of the Angarda Siakana, the PSNI, mm. the authorities across this island to ensure that no, any family... No, no, it's not. No, it's not. It's not. It's not. Not according to Conor Murphy. Conor Murphy said, was asked exactly that. And he said, no. He said, uh, they might have a role in it, but the community has a role in it. In other words, the IRA has a role in it. Well, there is no IRA, um, Mike. The war is over. The conflict is over, thank God. We now have a peace process, though imperfect and challenged at the moment, that has delivered peace and stability for the past 20 years. Yeah. 
I know. Uh, and are you accusing me of playing games uh, when you said you weren't going to play games with me? Because I was asking well, you. I think. Well, I, I think. I was asking you a here. question that Breege Quinn asked to be put to Conor Murphy. She wants him to retract what was said to Newsnight. Well, um, I, I am. I've come on your show to talk to you. I, I understood about politics uh, across the board. I've no difficulty with any question that you wish. To put to me. Am I ambushing but you? I, but, but I, but I do. I, no, what, what, what do you mean you came on to talk about politics? What, 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 am I doing something wrong here, Mary Lou Macdonald? No, not doing well, no, okay. conversation. You're answering the questions, which is your prerogative. Yes, I'm answering the uh, questions, which I think is mine. That's how that's how interviews work. Yeah, but you, you're making accusations against me as though I've no, ambushed I you somehow. No, I haven't. Mike. Well, I think any, you, you suggested I was playing games, and then you, when you, no, when, when, when you said to our listeners you came on to answer questions about politics, uh, it, it was suggesting that the questions I, I was asking you were not about politics because they're the questions that are going to be asked of your candidate, Matt Carthy, and you when you canvass with him in Monaghan. Well, um, let, let me just absolutely be clear for, for you, Mike, in terms of the way that we talk about the past and, and victims and hurt. I'm not accusing you of anything, but I'm stating my position very, 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 very clearly uh, in dealing with legacy and hurt and harm and real loss that real families have endured across the island. I won't play games with that and I will not apply double standards. And it is my firm belief that every family, including the Quinn family, whom you asked me about, deserve to know the absolute facts as to what happened to their loved one. And it is the job of the the uh, PSNI of Angarabishiagun, assisted, of course, as you have said, by the community to make sure that justice is achieved. That's my position, and it's a, it's a universal position in every case. Which can be interpreted to mean you won't be asking Conor Murphy to retract that statement. No, it's, it, no, it cannot be interpreted uh, in any way. Well, let me ask you. Let me ask you directly, because there's a simple there's a simple way of answering this. You can say yes or no. Uh, will you ask Conor Murphy to retract that statement? I will ask uh, Conor Murphy to say and do things that give confidence uh, and comfort to the Quinn family, as I would expect of any of our elected reps. Okay, I don't think that addresses the question that Bridge Quinn asked on this programme just last week, but we'll leave that there for the moment. We're looking at the prospect of uh, an election in the UK, uh, that Brexit will be postponed until at least the end of January, and that we'll have an election uh, in the interim period here, probably on the 29th of November. Uh, do, do you think that Sinn Féin uh, can gain on the success uh, that is achieved last time or are you destined to lose seats in the doll? Well, nothing is uh, ever written in the stars when it comes to elections. That's why we have election campaigns, Mike. If it was a predetermined thing, why, why ask people to go to the polls? Uh, obviously, uh, elections ask you to bring out your A game and uh, you know to set out your stall and to go and to to win the arguments and to to convince people that your solutions, the ideas that you're presenting uh, are the best ones and and to win their support. And obviously also to encourage people to come out and lose uh, lose their vote. But we will run a very, very strong set of candidates uh, right across the state, uh, right across the country, in fact, because there's uh, every prospect that we will also have a Westminster election in the north. 
and our people in the Dáil uh, and right across the country have worked hard over the last number of years. We've brought forward real solutions, not just analysis, but real solutions for the big issues. Uh, and yes, I believe that we have, uh, we have every chance, uh, as good a chance as anybody else, of going out and having a, a good election. But of course, I don't take that for granted. Uh, it means that we need to go out and talk to people, engage with people, uh, and convince people that in the case of me, that Johnny Girk and uh, Darren O'Rourke are their best bet if they want a mm. different and a more progressive kind of politics. Yeah, and per- perhaps in Brussels, as the case may be, uh, but we'll find out in time. But thank you indeed for joining us here on the programme this morning. That's Sinn Féin. Good morning to you, Sinn Féin President Mary Lou MacDonald. The Michael Reed Show. Finnegal TD for Louth and uh, Chair of uh, the Oroctus Transport Committee, uh, Fergus O'Dowd, uh, joins us now ahead of a meeting uh, with uh, Transport Infrastructure Ireland. Uh, very good morning to you, Fergus O'Dowd. Good morning to you, Michael. Thanks for joining us here on the programme. Uh, you're hoping to speak with them about the RD bypass. Yes, and uh, also at the meeting we've invited uh, all of the TDs and obviously Senator for the county as well. And uh, obviously we have apologies from Deputy Adams, he won't be there. So following our all committee meeting about the issue in relation to RD, I remain very concerned about the reasons behind this and what, if any, alternatives could be found other than pausing and delaying the project by a number of years. And that's why this meeting, it has arisen um, uh, t- today. That's what this meeting is about. about. And is there room for hope? Well, I don't know the answer to that. I believe there's a, a, ver- a very strong argument that certainly I think will find favour, hopefully, with all of us. Every TD in the county and senator, we all believe that the issues of the cul-de-sacs have to be solved. Uh, and we've all written supporting uh, the, the residents' needs would be met. But if the issue is that the, it needs additional land take, possibly compulsory purchase order, possibly new environmental assessments, that will that is that is what the pause is about, and I believe that is going to cost time and also cost money. And what I believe we should go ahead with the road now. It was about to start. We know what the cost is going to be, and that the additional works that will be required and the additional land take could take place after this road is built at the appropriate time. And Michael, my key point is that. If you if you delay the road now for a couple of years, you will add five, six, seven, eight, maybe ten million to the cost of it. Whereas the additional works that will be required, even if the road is built now, won't cost certainly won't cost more than that. So I think I believe I believe it, it certainly won't be more expensive to do the latter. But that will meet the needs of the people in RD, and it will meet the requirements of the residents who, who are meeting the cul-de-sac. Would it meet the planning permission that has been granted? Uh, because no, it won't, in, Well, you'd no. have to go back to the drawing board because... It, it, yes. it, 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 in, have to be. There would have to be. There would have to be a new planning, yes. Right. No, that, that's for... That's but for, but uh, the, the National Heritage Area could remain as is untouched. Yes, absolutely. You see, the only... Uh, not the only issue, but it's the two cul-de-sacs are the main issue. There's no issue with the rest of the road. So uh, they're not on the bog, I'm told. They're on fielding ground, so it isn't the bog as such. So, But the key point is that the road can start and finish starting now. The money is there for it. And after it's built, 
uh, or during while it's been built, uh, but not interfering with that particular contract, you can assess the new land take that's needed, which is not major, and go through that process. And that'll be it'll be as cheap to do that as it will be to pay the additional cost if we delay the road by a year or two. Uh, and what the planning was denied? Well, you see, no. Well, the, well, that, that you see the, that that I, that's a good question, Michael. But there's no problem with the planning as that exists. I accept that that is a risk that would have to be taken. But I don't. It hasn't arisen as an issue. Uh, with any d- discussions I've mm. had with But people. it would be very unusual, wouldn't it, uh, to proceed on uh, the basis uh, that you assume, to proceed on the assumption that planning would be granted for another part of uh, the road? But, uh, Michael, that's, that's a fair point. Uh, the point, though, is that at this moment in time, there is full planning permission for the road to be built now and to save the people of Ardy. We're spending millions on Ardy Castle and yet we have chock-a-block with lorries outside of hundreds of lorries. Uh, so we can build a road now, and there's no issue with planning, there's no issue with environment, mm. there's no issue with anything. The money is all there. Okay. Do that and address the issues afterwards. Okay, well, these are, are, are the points that you'll put to TII, and uh, perhaps uh, you can return to us uh, next I week like uh, and let us yeah. know what they've had to say to you today. Uh, but before you leave us, uh, perhaps you can talk to us about the trains and the DART, for that matter. Uh, we're talking yes, about yeah. serious overcrowding on uh, the trains, no new carriages until 2021. Aaron Rodern yeah. is talking about pre-booking uh, or else uh, there won't be a place for you on the train. We're already hearing from people who have to stand very, very long distances uh, and it, it seems as though uh, this is set to get worse and uh, there's no prospect of the DART coming to draw it until 2022, is it? It's uh, 2024, they told me. 2024, yes. my God. Yeah. Mm. No, no. The, the, the actual carriages are on order. The, the process, the tender process has commenced uh, since May of this year. And the carriages have to be constructed anew because of the actual, the, um, the gauge of the railway is different to European gauges and many world gauges. So they have to be specially constructed. Mm. So they told me, uh, that's the honest answer I got yesterday by 2024. What that will mean though, when it does happen, is that you will have a dart every five minutes all day in and out of Drogheda and in and out of Leitog. If it happens, because in five years from now, somebody coming out of school might be overseeing all of this. Um, yes, indeed, but this is public transport. So, And also the darts that we're talking about, they've ordered 600 carriages over a 10-year period, and they're also ordering 300 other carriages for the dart. So mm. they will be... They will be, they will be the, 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 some of the darts will be what they call... Uh, hybrid, there'll be diesel electric, there'll be hybrids. In other words, mm. we'll be able to get the dart into Drogheda from Malahide without electrification because it'll be hybrid engine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then after that, when the electrification comes to Drogheda and it will come to the dock, mm. all of those trains will be 100%. Uh, okay, but there's electric. no doubt that's a terrible disappointment, is it not? Uh, I mean, uh, there's lots of people uh, who would welcome uh, a dart service now, uh, that hybrid service or otherwise, uh, but uh, many of them will have retired by the time it's delivered. Well, the point is, Michael, they're 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 in the course of being ordered now. Uh, So in other words... But 2024? Well, that's what what they told me last night. Uh, You see, okay, so it'll be 2020 before they'll actually be ready the tender process going on mm. they'll be ordered and then they will be built what the national transport authority told me that depending on who gets the tender 
that they may be able to do it quicker than that. Obviously, I want it quicker. You want it quicker. Irish Rail want it quicker. Uh, so can it be done? Yeah. But I'm just, well, I'm I suppose, it's, I suppose pe- yeah. people just want uh, to live their lives like anybody else in any other European country and to be able to get on a, a train or a light rail Absolutely. system, as the case may be, but, and, but just, like a, and to sit down on the train uh, without having to buy tickets in advance. So. Uh, and that's uh, something that's uh, eluding us here now. Well, I think that that would be an impossible situation. And particularly you're talking about people travelling longer distances yeah. from the west of Ireland. From Elderly people Ireland. going to Kerry or whatever, yeah. Yeah, or, or people going to work. A lot mm. of people commute from yeah. Sligo, mm. uh, you know, from Galway even. There's huge commute distances now. So uh, notwithstanding the fact that you're standing in some cases on a corridor, in some mm. cases you are. Uh, right? And they know how to charge as well. They, they do, but the point is you won't even get on the train if you mm. have to pre-book. Yeah. So that doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense. Okay. Uh, I think uh, you'll be asking our Irish Rail uh, to explain it to you, as senseless as it may seem, uh, in front of uh, the committee. And, yes, uh, like the committee we, which, I, yeah. I spoke to Irish Rail last night and we hope to have them with the agreement of our committee uh, within probably the next two weeks to go through all of these issues. But the key point about the DART as well, Michael, mm. if I make it to you, that when the DART comes to Drogheda, it'll open up Drogheda North, it should open up Dunleer, and it'll open up Dundalk to Drogheda. It'll up huge connectivity on the public transport network. Mm. Huge, absolutely huge. Okay. And it'll take it'll take thousands of commuters presently in their cars, off the roads and into trains. Mm. And that, that's what we want. In five years. OK, we leave it there for now. Thank you indeed for joining us Thank here on the programme this morning. Finnegale TD, Fergus O'Dowd is uh, the chair of uh, the Oireachtas Committee on Transport. The Michael Reid Show. Well, there's no doubt about it. Four TDs were given a dressing down yesterday. Timmy Dooley, Niall Collins, Lisa Chambers and Barry Cowan, the four Fianna Fáil TDs, all made statements to the doll or grovelling and abject apologies, as the Irish Examiner puts it. Well, let's hear why Daniel McConnell, political editor with the Irish Examiner, is on the line. And you say that Timmy Dooley looks shook, gaunt and weary, whilst Niall Collins seemed deflated to you. Yeah, I mean, certainly the impact of the, the controversy, which was essentially a week old, yesterday was clear to see on the faces of the Fianna Fallers and not just the, the two that you've mentioned. I mean, the, the, the benches look pretty forlorn you know, in more recent times. Given they had a very good local local uh, elections, they were sort of uh, far more ebullient and far more kind of um, kind of energetic. They certainly didn't uh, look that way this week. And Michal Martin has had a very tough job of trying to manage uh, his way out of this controversy. Uh, he's taken a hard line. He's demoted uh, the, those two deeds those two TVs. Uh, initially, it was done on a temporary basis pending the outcome of this mm. uh, investigation, but it now looks very clear that those two, uh, Timmy Dooley and Niall Collins, will remain demoted. They, they they will not be reinstated to the party front bench before the general election, which is obviously a major blow to those two men and their careers. And they were very strongly criticised uh, by Kim Corla, Sean O'Farrell. Statements were made on behalf of uh, the committee to Fine Gael TDs, making very strong statements, and perhaps we can talk about them in a moment. Uh, we heard uh, a bit of what Mary Lou MacDonald had to say, and she was scathing. Uh, but Micheál Martin also made a, a contribution, and his contribution makes for the front page headline of uh, the Irish Examiner today not because of what he said, but how it was received by Catherine Connolly. 
Yeah, so, I mean, obviously contributions were heard from across the floor in the Dáil yesterday. Uh, but Captain Connolly, who's a, known as a very pretty and starch critic of both Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil and the old way of doing politics in Ireland, she was scathing in her criticism of Micheál Martin's uh, comments. Essentially, he had thought to set out, I won't say a defence of the two men, but certainly he tried to explain that... Um, they weren't the only ones sort of at this practice of voting on, on behalf of other people. Uh, he certainly set out that the, the vote last Thursday or the votes last Thursday were not materially affected by what went on. Um, but I suppose it, it cut to many that it was, you know, not a satisfactory enough explanation uh, or a hard enough line taken on in relation to discipline within his own party. Now, he would counter that argument by saying he moved very swiftly last Saturday in removing the the, the, the two lads from their position uh, and you know the, he made very clear that that sanction will continue uh, for the foreseeable future um, so I mean what like the, the the temperature of the, the, the exchanges throughout the, not just yesterday mm. but throughout the week yesterday both in the Dáil and on the airways uh, particularly between Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil has been pretty heated I mean the likes of Thomas Byrne and Noel Rock and Colin Brophy have been kind of scrapping with each other day after day on the airways uh, about who was right and who's wrong. And, you know, ultimately, I think the goal for Fianna Fáil was once this story broke in the Irish Independence last Saturday, um, they had to try and spread the mud, if that made any sense. So they had to, as, as quickly as possible, kind of uh, make it clear that it was there are some Fianna Gael ministers who were absent in the Dáil. And that began um, on I think it was Monday evening where Damien English's name was brought into the mix and we reported that you know he was seen as being absent from a vote. He explained that he was in the back end of the chamber and asked somebody to vote for him. You know, Charlie Flanagan, Richard Bruton started coming out saying that they had engaged in this practice. Then all of a sudden you were having you know, uh, further examination on other Fianna followers like Barry Cowan. And, and what we had over the space of 48 to 72 hours was this back and forth kind of nudges from Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil press office saying you should look at this clip you should look at that clip people were mm-hmm. spending hours going through videos it was it was slightly farcical and, and unseemly to say the least um, but ultimately what it has done it has exposed a very casual attitude across the political system uh, in terms of the voting uh, within Leinster House you know voting mm-hmm. is, is a primary function of being a TD and you know when you're kind of essentially kind of outsourcing it because you can't be bothered to make the, the five step walk to your seat it really wasn't acceptable, and I think you know the kind of the tightening of the rules was was probably long overdue. Yeah, well, undoubtedly those rules will be shored up, but this saga is far from finished. We've uh, to get uh, reports from two separate committees into all of uh, this, uh, and uh, undoubtedly uh, there is uh, political points to be scored, uh, and it seems as though there's no stopping the politicians when it comes to it. I guess we won't fall out of our standing if uh, there is a general election in the United Kingdom on the 12th of December uh, and it follows that there's an election here let's say on uh, the 29th of November and if that's a possibility possibly no surprise that politicians are looking to score points Uh, but when members of a committee make statements to the Dáil about opposition TDs and say that they were entirely wrong or that they were acting in a way that was completely unacceptable and it's not considered to be part and you can't blame them, can you? Uh, well, no. Um, and ultimately, a lot of these committees are, are kind of cross-party, so they're, they're not just... Mm. Uh, to avoid that sort of those accusations of partisanship, 
you know, there, 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 there is a kind of a, you know, the, the sort of general rule is you park your party allegiances when you go into the committee room and you kind of do the business in, in the, the public interest or the wider public interest, uh, even if it makes uncomfortable reading for for some of your own party members. Uh, I think, you know, notwithstanding the, the kind of move by Boris Johnson to seek a general election in uh, December 12th, you know, the feeling around Leinster House last night and in government circles was it would still be too tight uh, with an extension to the 31st of January to, to have an election here um, because I think there's a real threat and a real fear that we would go into another 70 days of government formation talks as we did in 2016 and it just is far too tight, you know, if you're dealing mm. with another Brexit deadline. So I think the, the, the kind of consensus, you know, given the votes on, on Monday or Tuesday in the House of Commons, uh, I think the, the consensus is that like an election here before Christmas is now off the table. It's now very much uh, into into the new year. That now poses a real dilemma then for Leo Varadkar. He now has to face then four by-elections in November. Mm. The race is likely to be moved in the next couple of weeks. Uh, and if that's the case, you know, Fianna Gael are, on the, are likely to be on the losing end of all four of those by-elections. Uh, they may sneak one. But either way, you know, you know they're going to have a bad day at the office, and that will rob him of momentum, and will certainly kind of heap pressure on him heading into a general election. And you know, Fianna Fáil could have, you know, needed this kind of vote gate saga like a hole in the head just at a time when they were building momentum out of the local elections in May. Um, that they, they have sort of been stopped in their tracks a little bit. Mm. Um, but you know, they certainly would be favourites to win at least two of the by-elections, and if they get those two wins, you know, the arithmetic of it all becomes very, very tight. Uh, and you know, like they would have the, the 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 crucial element of momentum behind them, you know, going into a general election, uh, and that and again, people don't a lot of people don't realise that Fine Gael at the next general election are going to they're starting from a position where they're eight seats down because of retirements and people who aren't standing again, the likes of Enda Kenny, Michael Noonan, John Deasy, Jim Daly, Francis Fitzgerald is now gone as well, and and Dara Murphy and one or two others. So th- there's a host of people. Uh, who are you know are not standing and before so to even stand still, Fine Gael have a lot of work to do, um, and Fianna Fáil are now virtually neck and neck with them. They've they've re-established themselves in the wider Dublin area. You know they now hold the Lord Mayorship or chairmanships of uh, of three of the four county councils. Um, so there's a real battle going on, uh, and it's not beyond the realms of possibility that Michael Martin and Fianna Fáil could come back with more seats, given the way that particular narrative of momentum could, could play out if those by-elections happen as, okay. a, as opposed to a general election before Christmas. Alright, well we'll uh, certainly uh, watch it closely over the course of uh, the coming days uh, but thanks uh, for that as always uh, Daniel McConnell, political editor with uh, the Irish Examiner. The Michael Reed Show. Now let's find out what you've been saying to us. Maggie is here with some of uh, the calls and comments that have been coming to us uh, this morning. Good morning to you, Maggie. Morning, Michael. And it's um, voting, voting, voting all the way this okay. morning on yeah. the phones. Yeah. Um, yeah. Vo- voting in elections or voting in the doll? Or uh, voting a couple of times in the doll? Voting a couple of times in the doll mm, seems okay, to be particularly yeah. contentious. But Tommy um, wants to know why Timmy Dooley and Niall Collins weren't removed from the party for their actions. Um, if they were found to have breached the, con- the constitution, then surely they should have been sacked rather than being consigned to the the back benches. Well, uh, I suppose they have been sacked uh, because uh, they've lost their portfolios, uh, and I think that's the way that is interpreted. Yeah, well, mm. um, Tommy would not say that they betrayed the trust of the people who voted for them, and they don't deserve to sit in the doll any longer and be allowed to collect their paychecks. If someone working in the private sector mess- messed up as monumentally as they did, they'd be gone. 
Okay. Um, Martin says TDs involved in the voting debacle will face the repercussions of this on the doorsteps at the next election if the politicians can't be trusted to clean up their own house well, then they can rely on us to do that job for them Right. Okay. and on the same subject um, May was saying she's not one bit surprised to hear there's no sanctions been brought against the TDs sure all they did was disrespect our constitution and betray the trust of the very people who elected them to govern the co- country why should they be punished for that <laughs> it's I, a point of that yeah. yeah I think her tongue is uh, very yeah, firmly yeah, in her yeah. cheek there mm, um, mm. she said they're a disgrace and they should be held accountable for their actions end of story dear god yeah Yeah. okay well they may yes be held accountable uh there were no sanctions yesterday and no possibility of uh, sanctions as we heard uh, at the start of the program that's to allow due process Uh, and uh, there are another couple of committees uh, that are are looking into this uh there's also been complaints uh, that have been taken by members of uh, the public and uh there could very well result in further action uh, and certainly there will be more reports and recommendations. On the same subject, mm. um, Tony was in contact with the show this morning via text and he said, you know, we sneer and laugh about Westminster and how they behave. He said, at least over there they sit in, in their seats, the right seats of that, and get on with the job in hand. He said, um, all of this voting debacle is going on at a time when the health service is in crisis, our housing lists are the highest ever, we've Brexit that's never ending, etc, etc. He said, um, uh, TDs need to remember that the people don't care if they sit, stand or jump in their seats, just get on with the important st- um, stuff and leave all the political points going behind. Okay, well, let's hear a little bit more about what happened uh, and uh, how it was considered by members of uh, the committee that looked at uh, the Ciam Corla's report. We're going to hear from uh, two of them now. They're both Fine TDs. They're both scathing. And the first of them is Martin Hayden. Over a period of 56 minutes, eight votes were taken in the Dáil. Deputy Timmy Dooley left the chamber a minute after the first vote was called, but nine minutes before the first vote was actually took place. He never returned. In the block of eight votes that followed, Deputy Niall Collins sat in the voting chair of Deputy Barry Cowan. Deputy Collins voted for Deputy Dooley, who wasn't present in the chamber, for the first six votes. He also voted for Deputy Barry Cowan for the full eight votes. Deputy Cowan voted for Deputy Collins for the full eight votes. Deputy Dooley approached Deputy Collins before he left the chamber, where they had a brief conversation in front of another colleague. During this conversation, Deputy Dooley nodded to his own voting seat. The party known for nod and wink, now known better for nod and point. Deputy Dooley confirmed he didn't vote in any of the eight votes as he never returned to the chamber. When asked when he didn't return, he indicated that he had to return to his office to make a call. He stated that he should have gone back, but that instead he left the complex. Asked whether he had left during the voting block, he said he most, most likely it probably was. When asked whether he had contacted Deputy Collins after leaving the complex, he stated that he hadn't. I am sure if Deputy Dooley and Deputy Collins produced their phone record to the Committee on Members' Interests, these comments could be confirmed. When questioned on why he didn't continue to press Deputy Dooley's voting button uh, for votes, the last two votes, Deputy Collins stated, I don't know, I can't explain that. When questioned again, he said, I can't give an explanation. It's an obvious question, but I can't give an explanation. The report also confirms facts surrounding the other voting irregularity. Deputy Lisa Chambers voted for herself and Deputy Derek Kaliri, who wasn't present in the chamber for the first vote. She then subsequently voted for herself only in the next seven votes. Deputy Derek Kaliri was not present for the first five votes, but then returned before vote six. Deputy Chambers stated that she told Deputy Kaliri of her mistake when he entered the chamber. At no stage did Deputy Chambers or Deputy Kaliri make any attempt to amend the record for the first vote by notifying the tellers of the error. Count Corla, as you said earlier uh, today, the events of last Thursday were stark and unpalatable. Errors which we all make 
should be admitted to and learned from. There are many people outside of this House who would find it hard to believe many of the accounts included in this report. Well, I think you believe it, don't you, Maggie? The jury's possibly still out on that yeah, one. All right. Were you listening closely? I've, I, was. I have some questions asked, just to oh, test lovely. if you I were. I didn't realise there was going to be a how, test. How many votes were there? How many times did uh, Niall Collins vote? Uh, how many times did uh, Lisa Chambers vote? You don't need. You don't, no, it, yeah, it's I, very complicated, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I, that, do, yeah. I do know that there was something about Regina Doherty's fluffy bit. <laughs> that was the one thing that stuck in my mind yes, about it. Yes, indeed. All. Yes, Gavin Riley telling us uh, that. Uh, the minister was defending herself by highlighting how her boots, while mm. she couldn't be seen on camera, her, her boots could. could be seen on camera. Absolutely. All right, That was Martin Hayden uh, speaking in the Dáil yesterday, the chair of the Fine Gael Parliamentary Party. Uh, another Fine Gael TD, Sean Kine, also made a contribution on this. Voting for colleagues who were absent from the chamber is completely and utterly different. It is entirely wrong. It undermines the integrity of the votes... It abuses the privileged position that the TDs have in representing their constituents. And it brings the House and the role of the public representative into disrepute. This is about trust. Trust in deputies to do the right thing. Trust in people to fulfil their mandate, to do their jobs. Trust in a voting system, which we introduced to allow us to work more efficiently and quickly. We all get used to the routine of this chamber and are lulled into a sense of familiarity. But familiarity cannot breed contempt here. Here we hold a deep, century-old trust which we can never betray. These events have weakened that trust and we must all make every effort to regain and rebuild it. Clancorla, everybody can make a mistake. A TD can sit in the wrong seat even though the voting panels are numbered. A TD can press the wrong button and vote in an unattended way. But mistakes like these can be rectified easily, as long as they are reported immediately before the result is read into the official official record, and indeed they often are. The deputies concerned have done a great disservice to their mandate, to their constituents and to their colleagues. There is no way explaining this away. It was wrong, it was thoughtless, it was cavalier and it was arrogant. Voting more than once is wrong and reckless. Voting for other deputies who were not in the chamber is wrong and reckless. This behaviour has damaged the doll. It has damaged the confidence that voters should and must have in how our Parliament plays its pivotal role in our democracy. No country can afford the luxury of ignoring, abusing or disrespecting democracy. It is too valuable, too sacred and too fragile to do so. In a real way, what happened last week does all three. It diminishes all of us to an extent, but greatly diminishes those members responsible. Confidence has to be restored. The damage has to be repaired. Disrespecting democracy. Uh, they're taking no prisoners, are they? No, they really aren't. And in fairness, he has a point. Uh, there has been a lot of damage mm. done over the last couple of days. Like there based, certainly has, yeah. Well, based mm-hmm. on how people mm-hmm. are reacting on the phones and on texts yeah. with us, like people are very angry about it all. Well, um, it would seem to be the case. Uh, and it may be unfair of us not to be playing out the apologies because the four TDs mentioned, Timmy Dooley, Niall Collins, Lisa Chambers and Barry Cowan, all apologised to the doll yeah. yesterday. Uh, and we've been hearing uh, the reaction 
to their apologies uh, from opposition TDs. We probably uh, should hear the apologies. We might do that on the programme next week. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, worth mentioning as well that Michal Martin did make a, a contribution and uh, he highlighted t- to the doll how he had responded to all of this and that he, he demoted Dooley and Collins with uh, immediate effect and that it was wrong, it shouldn't have happened and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as uh, Daniel McConnell of uh, the Irish Examiner told us earlier on, uh, this wasn't uh, received too well by the independent TD, Catherine Connolly, uh, and her response made for the front page of the Irish Examiner today. Can Corley appeal for respect? Well, I'm afraid I have difficulty giving respect to either Fianna Fáil or Fianna Gael on this issue, having listened to the content of their speeches. Fianna Gael have used it as a star chamber to come in and mm-hmm. score points and Fianna Fáil are disgraceful. The speech from Michal Martin is simply disgraceful. To come in and say, talk about general practices and the specific incident last week and the changes. I did nothing wrong, my colleagues did nothing wrong and most of the TDs in the Dáil have done nothing wrong. Most of Fianna Fáil indeed have done nothing wrong and I'm sure they have very mixed emotions with what has happened. And so a small number of TDs did something wrong. They voted when they shouldn't have voted. And I look at this, and that should be the end of the matter in the sense of standing up, apologising, and taking whatever consequences the committee next week decides. It should be, but uh, this is politics after all. What else have people been saying, Maggie? Well, Davy was in touch to say, so an investigation into this debacle has decided it's not legally appropriate to sanction the TDs involved. He says his understanding is that they breached the Constitution. So if this is the case, then he wants to know what exactly does a TD have to do in order to be sanctioned mm. and have to face the consequences okay. of their actions. Yeah. Well, that may change. Uh, that was uh, one of uh, the things uh, the report uh, suggested uh, should be looked at, uh, that uh, there could possibly be sanctions going forward. Um, Dan, on the same subject, was saying that um, this scandal is like manna from heaven for Fianna Gael mm. um, because it's allowing them to really stick the knife into Fianna Fáil in advance of next election and they're milking it for all it's worth. We've endless problems in the country at the minute like homelessness, our joke of a health system, etc, etc. But yet the past week has been dominated by the fact that our politicians can't be trusted to do the job they were elected to do and can't be trusted to simply push a button. They're mm. a joke. <laughs> and, uh, I know, they, they can push a button. The problem is that sometimes they push it twice or the wrong button. Yeah, Yeah, that's it, exactly. I'm glad it's not a nuclear button or anything like that. Maybe they'll need like an usher or something to point them in the right direction every time. Yeah, Uh, a caddy, a a button caddy. A button caddy, yeah. Does that exist? There we go. It's a new job for somebody. Yeah. Well, look, I'll finish up on this one um, because I know time's against us, but Anna is saying that it's a a massive page. There's no big red button to eject these TDs from the doll. Yeah. Um, She's saying that they're making a mockery of the houses of the Oireachtas and disrespecting the fund fundamental principles of receipt of governance. They may think they've gotten away with it, but they can be reassured that the people won't forget and we'll use our votes to make our feelings known okay. on yeah, next time. Right. Well, you used the phone line this morning, Anna, and uh, well said, I suppose, uh, but uh, thanks uh, for making the call and to everybody who has been in touch. Maggie, thanks uh, for bringing us uh, those comments. The Michael Reed Show. It's quite possible that uh, Boris Johnson will get uh, the extension to the Brexit deadline uh, that he's asked for from uh, the European Union today. Otherwise, uh, the UK is uh, set to leave on the 31st of October. Declan Brannock, Fianna Fáil TD in Louth and junior spokesperson on North-South Bodies and Cross-Border Cooperation is on uh, the line. A very good morning to you, Declan Brannock, and uh, thanks uh, for joining us here on the programme this morning. Uh, This is the extension that the Prime Minister asked for uh, but he doesn't want it, is that it? 
well, I say, Michael, when you're in a hole, you should stop digging. And uh, when he did say that he was rather day in a ditch, I did send him a text uh, suggesting that I would start digging the hole. And he certainly has done that. And now we've ended up with what is a Mexican standoff uh, between... Uh, the Parliament, and particularly between Labour and uh, the Conservative Party, uh, it was inevitable that the timescales were too uh, narrow, and he has uh, the extension. Hopefully, will be granted, uh, if not today, certainly on Monday by mm. uh, the EU. But again, I think there's a game being played there, where uh, obviously. Uh, Europe doesn't want to interfere in the workings of the Parliament. Uh, Boris Johnson is suggesting that he will uh, look for uh, an election uh, for the 12th of December, and that vote won't take place until Monday. So I think you may not hear the decision of the EU until Monday, till after that vote. And he requires, obviously, two thirds of a, Boris requires mm. two thirds of a majority. Uh, uh, in the House of Commons in order to get that election and Labour certainly as we know are saying uh, yes we'll give you the election mm -hmm. but uh, we want you to make it very clear that there will no be deal is no, off the table. The, the no deal comes off the table and that's the dilemma mm. you know, we, so, so they uh, need Europe to respond first and Europe needs uh, Britain to commit to an, an election uh, absolutely, yeah. if that's what they, if they want, because mm. you're giving 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 a further extension without a meaningful decision coming forth. In, in other words, mm. the endorsement of the deal that's currently on the table, which we all know is a halfway house, but certainly uh, is reluctantly welcome to the in the border communities and the people uh, that are listening to your program today, because while well, we all know that the old line that uh, any uh, Brexit is not good. But we we certainly seem to have, in this new deal, solved the problem to a large degree in relation to movement of goods. Uh, the movement of people has certainly uh, been catered for. But ultimately, uh, the whole indecision, uh, your, your listeners alone are Brexited out. But I, want to, be, yeah. I, mm. I want to assure them that if this is not dealt with as comprehensively as it has been over the last three years, then it's it's the people who are listening in uh, and the families that are listening in that will suffer if we don't get this right. Did you really text Boris Johnson? I most certainly did. Yeah. Yeah, I most certainly <laughs> did, did he text but back? I, uh, he, he didn't actually, Michael, okay. but I mean, you know, you yeah. know that these leaders, uh, whether it's in America or otherwise, seem to take to the text machine. But, you know, it's important that we communicate with them. And we, we, we do that, believe it or not, through mm. uh, the British Irish Parliamentary uh, uh, Assembly mm. and Association, but also through the Good Friday Agreement Committee. It's important that the, the, the message, uh, not just of the people of the island, but particularly the people of the border region, mm. that the, the, the knock-on effect that is liable to happen if we don't get this right. And I yeah. hope, uh, I hope your, your, your listeners will understand that, even though they may be Brexited out. It's a I, I, I know the British-Irish Parliamentary uh, Assembly met last week, and I do want to ask you a little bit about that. Uh, but uh, what happens if uh, Boris Johnson doesn't win the vote, doesn't get a, an election, uh, I mean, there's no point to the extension, as you say. Uh, what what then? Uh, I mean, if there's no election, if there's no referendum, what happens? Well, it's inevitable that uh, the extension will come uh, to the 31st of January mm. uh, and that the debate, which uh, most of the House of Commons 
requested in the majority that it would be comprehensively mm. debated. Uh, I can't see the EU going for a third renegotiation. I think the DUP yeah, are in a dilemma, yeah. and uh, I can't, for the life of me, see that they don't see that they will get the best. Everybody's in, a, everybody's in a dilemma. The DUP are in a dilemma. There's no doubt about that. Uh, he's thrown them under the bus. Uh, but Johnson is in a dilemma. Uh, he had his deal voted on, uh, passed, uh, but then the amendments have to come, and he's never going to get his deal as agreed with Europe through. Uh, so, yeah, it's, ine- it's inevitable. He, he's going home for an election because the opinion... So he wants an election. 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 He may not get an election because Labour doesn't want an election because uh, they're facing into a disastrous election if the polls are anything to go by. And nobody seems to want to, to have a referendum without uh, something else, such as uh, the deal to be voted on or an election or something else. So, I mean, it's possible that this will just be a stalemate. Well, uh, I think the issue is if Boris gets an election, uh, I think he, he's hoping that he'll be able to come back and say there's a different mandate. But that's if he gets it. If he doesn't, do you, do you know what I mean? Yes, well, we know mm. it's a fixed-term fixed parliament. Mm. Uh, I think I think we are trundling towards uh, an election. Mm. Uh, but I, I have one of those, and I've said it on your programme, uh, Michael, many times, that um, you know I certainly... Uh, don't have a difficulty in uh, a referendum back to the people mm. because I believe and have believed for a long period of time it's not a question, I said this, it's not a question that Brexit uh, uh, won't happen. Uh, mm. I have a firm belief that Brexit shouldn't happen in the interest of the people of these okay. islands. If there is an election, would you rule out uh, an election before Christmas here? Uh, I certainly think uh, there there are commitments, leaving aside the debacle and Mm. the doll, there are commitments to getting the finance bill Mm. passed uh, and the social welfare bill passed. Which would rule out that prospect. In in my view, but uh, I think uh, Leo Radker said in relation to the Good Friday, uh, in relation to the Brexit deal, many of the slip between the cup and the lip, Mm. uh, the carry-on that's going on and doll air and uh, people, and I think the atmosphere around the house is, uh, it's inevitable, but Mm. I think it will be New Year. Yeah, well, that's because it seems the Fianna Fáil TDs are guilty as charged uh, uh, and they were very contrite yesterday. Uh, but uh, let's talk uh, about uh, people born in the north of Ireland. They're all British, are they? Um, under the Good Friday Agreement, uh, people living in the north of Ireland uh, can opt for to be an Irish citizen to be a British mm, citizen, mm, or both. Mm. Indeed, there are people living there, I suppose I should say, that mm. uh, can opt to have none of those. But we have a huge dilemma in the D'Souza case in that the British government, 20 years on from the Good Friday Agreement, did not introduce the legislation that is required to implement what is said in the Good Friday Agreement. They say you have to renounce your British citizenship and declare yourself Irish yeah there's, there's quite a bit of uh, I think it's very important uh, has anybody like, done that uh, I, not that I know but I think it's very like important. is Jerry Adams British well you know I think uh, Jerry is like Cushlin McCree's dog he can go over the road with everybody but um, I have to say that part of the the difficulty in this D'Souza case that people are also missing out on is that in March of last year the British government changed uh, the EEA citizen status, uh, they changed the definition of that in order to accommodate the settled status scheme for people who wanted to reside. And we should have seen, and that should have been flagged at that time, that they were going the route that decision has left Emma D'Souza and anybody who wants to 
be an Irish citizen locked out of the system. Uh, Simon Coveney has been challenged in the Dáil. I have challenged uh, Robin Walker, the, Secret- uh, uh, the Secretary of State, uh, to rectify it and I understand there is a commitment to do so but it is unbelievable that 20 years on mm. from the Good Friday Agreement that people uh, and particularly those in the uh, drafting offices of legislation uh, didn't see the need to push this issue. Does Brexit have any effect on that commitment? Uh, I, I would take from what Simon Coveney uh, said in the Dáil and indeed what Robin Walker said Mm. that as part of the Brexit discussions that the the issue of commitment to what is in as we all know an international treaty uh, that must be respected and that that legislation needs to be brought forward and I hope that in the 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 devil as we know is in the detail but the detail of any uh, Brexit deal uh, as as we move on uh, beyond obviously the vote uh, that uh, this will be rectified. But I think it is crucial uh, that we have respect for everybody's identity, north and south. And believe it or not, that brings back to the whole issue of uh, mm. giving assurances to the DUP and, and to people who have a different view uh, uh, of Ireland than you or I might have, Michael, mm. that we respect that identity and that is the only way that north, south, east, west and that there's the same level of respect on both sides of the border I think that's the important thing here isn't it because the DUP or other unionists uh, would be uh, recognised as being British on this side of the border if that's the way they wish to be recognised but it, it doesn't follow in the other direction yeah, look, at the B word of Brexit uh, creates all sorts of uh, uh, difficulties. But I say that the C word is the more important one. Communities, cross-border cooperation, meeting the challenges and availing of the opportunities that can accrue if we work, not necessarily as a united Ireland, but a united people. OK, we'll leave it on that note. Thank you indeed for joining us here on the programme this morning. Declan Bronick, Finnefall TD for Loud as his party's junior spokesperson on North-South Bodies and Cooperation, uh, cross-border cooperation, I beg your pardon. The Michael Reed Show. Now to uh, the horrendous tragedy of uh, the discovery of 39 Chinese nationals in a container, a sealed container on uh, the back of a, a lorry in Essex. Uh, we'll talk about this with Rona Murphy, the president of uh, the Irish Road Haulage Association. I suppose there aren't words that anybody uh, can come up with uh, to describe the scale of uh, this tragedy, Rona, but I, I'm sure there's a, a lot of victims uh, and I imagine this is every truck driver's worst nightmare. Could this happen? happen to any truck driver indeed it could unfortunately that is the reality of the world we live in today and the migrant population i think we deal with this day in day out and it's not the biggest surprise to us i think the biggest surprise to us is that they are actually chinese nationals and what can you say i mean may they rest in peace Mm. and why is that a surprise to you because they're not the migrant population that you would generally find and deal with. The people that we deal with day in, day out, the, the refugee asylum seeker group would be North African. You know, they, mm. they are the people who have been dispersed from the camp in Calais. 
they are the people who are coming from war-torn Syria, places like that, Michael. You know, they're, they're basically connected to the European mainland, which, you know, China is a long way from the European mainland. Mm, but we have uh, had discoveries of this sort, which uh, found Chinese nationals in uh, the back of uh, trucks before. But I, I suppose uh, it's neither here nor there in that there they were 39 human beings who are now deceased. Uh, and oh, that is oh, a terrible absolutely. tragedy. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think the significance, the significance of the the 39 people being Chinese is that it, you can take it for granted that this is organized trafficking. It's not, as I say, the migrant population being opportunistic. That's the difference. Mm. Uh, and what about the Irish connection? Uh, we know uh, that uh, the truck uh, belongs uh, to GTR. GTR Europe confirmed this in a, a statement yesterday saying that it, it was the owner of the trailer, at least, uh, and uh, that it had no knowledge of, of how that trailer was being used. And that wouldn't be unusual. I mean, if you hire a refrigerated trailer, you very much expect it to carry refrigerated goods or that an insulated type of container is required for the work you're doing. There's nothing unusual about any of the activity. I mean, it's a bank holiday here in Ireland on Monday and it's a bank holiday in Italy on Friday. Many operators who who uh, work from Ireland to Italy will probably have to hire trailers on the basis of a short week. There's nothing unusual in that regard. What is helpful is the fact that the trailer, the hire company, can actually provide the GPS detail to the police to help with their investigation. Okay. The truck was registered in Bulgaria, wasn't it? It's a, apparently, from what we know, it's a Bulgarian registered vehicle owned by an Irish person. Mm. And that is something that we would have grave difficulty with in a lot of instances. There's nothing illegal about it. Mm. Uh, the Explain it to us, raised, because it was bought in Bulgaria a couple of years ago, uh, but as soon as it was bought, it, it was driven out of the country. Yes. And that is like, there's questions that have to be asked in relation to it. As I said, there is nothing illegal about no, setting no, up a company. Mm-hmm. We're in a free market. The problem we have as an association is that we have represented for a number of years now mm. the lack of proportionate policing to the RSA, whom have, I suppose, we haven't had a response that we, we would consider good enough, particularly for the road safety of the Irish citizens. We have taken a complaint to the Public Accounts Committee based on the lack of activity and the lack of a response we've we've received from the RSA. Mm. And we have appealed to the Public Accounts Committee now to treat that with a matter of urgency because this is something, if you take the information that's given, that truck has not Mm. been back in its own where it's registered for two years. the reality is that each country stipulates its roadworthiness under EU regulation mm. and we don't know anything as to whether it is or it isn't, where it's been tested, what rules are being followed. And yeah. then you've got competitive issues to answer to. If you have an Irish registered haulier who's working alongside someone like this, we're we're working in a heavily regulated environment and it's over-regulated against the Irish operator because the Bulgarian truck is going on policed. And that's a huge competition issue. You know, it's a bit like the radio station has to mm. abide by the broadcasting authority rules mm. but then there's a pirate station who doesn't. So it's and not it's, policed in Bulgaria it's not policed in Bulgaria because it's not in Bulgaria uh, and it's not policed here because it's registered in Bulgaria, is that it? It's Yeah, 
and the reality yeah. of the proportion. But how do you get away with that? Because I mean, this is what I don't understand. If I if I go up to Belfast and buy a motor car and bring it back here, I'm supposed to have it registered and pay VRT and all sorts of things, aren't I? Well, yeah, but the issue is that if you stop the Bulgarian registered truck and there is an issue, there's no means in which to deal with that issue. And our recommendation is that we would like to see the police authority taking back control of road traffic issues because the RSA just clearly aren't on top of it. If they say, and they have said, there's a shortage of staff, we have not seen where they've required increased staff or made representation at government level to make this point. However, as Irish operators, we're suffering gravely. Mm. Uh, there's a, a lot of great minds and uh, some very uh, modern technology uh, uh, being applied to, to this investigation uh, and GPS data and all sorts tracking uh, where this uh, truck originated from, uh, the route that it took and how it, it ended up in poor fleet and so on. Uh, but uh, can they really get to the bottom of it? Well, I mean, look, a tracking device is exactly what it does. The the reason the hire company has a tracking device is so that they at all times can tell where their trailer is. It prevents it to test an anti-theft mechanism. For us, it allows us also to understand when the truck has stopped, where the trailer is, and if we need to alert the driver to do his checks, because sometimes, you know, drivers are, they they do their best. It's a particular part of their Mm. job that was never envisaged. And, you know, each time they stop, we will know as operators whether they're in a dangerous area and what we'd call a red zone, because there are particular areas in France that are, very dangerous if you stop your truck. You're almost guaranteed to be infiltrated by migrant population. Mm. You know, and we have to safeguard ourselves, our drivers and the migrant population because you can see how vulnerable they are. And if they get into an insulated box, there's issues from start to finish. It Mm. is not a safe environment. These people are desperate and they are coming from very desperate situations under the illusion that they're going to a better life. However, they're so desperate that they're willing to take the chance that they might never get there. Yeah, well, as somebody said yesterday, 39 people died. One of the 39 people was the last person to die and watched 38 people die before they lost their lives. Uh, Look, I I think on issues like that, no matter how or what the circumstances, it's a horrendous result. And I think Mm. we've got to be cognizant of there will be a post-mortem. It's possible that the people just went to sleep from lack of oxygen and Mm. never woke up. I I don't even want to go there because I think it's it's not something that we want to imprint on our drivers' Mm. minds. And it's not something they should have to face. And and this is what I brought to Mm. Minister Flanagan, and we do consult. There needs to be security issues addressed, particularly on the Northern Corridor ports and particularly on the ports that that, uh, are aligned with traffic to Ireland, such as Cherbourg and Santander. Three weeks ago, I visited the port of Le Havre hoping that we can instigate a sailing from Le Havre to Rosslare and vice versa so that the country will have a six-day direct ferry service post-Brexit. But I was very impressed. It's a huge commercial port covering some 10,000 hectares and it's policed by its own police force. 130 police force police Le Havre on different shifts and they do not have migrant incidents. Mm. That is a huge bonus if you're an operator and it gives your driver ease of reference. It means you don't end up with insurance issues caused by migrant issues. You know, it's a huge plus and I think 
for Ireland Inc. and for the haulage sector in general, this is a route that we need to look at because we're aligning the security of Ireland with a port that's mm. fully optimal where security is concerned. And you said that in France, uh, there are certain per- parts of France uh, that you can expect people to try to get into the back of your truck. And it appears that this particular truck travelled through Dunkirk, Bruges and Lille. Uh, but they seem to believe that it left Dublin for the continent and that the 39 Chinese people got into the truck in Belgium somehow. Well, look, we have no idea in relation to that. We don't know. And as I said, they're not what we would deal with on a daily basis because of the origin Mm. of the people who have died. The migrant population understand that they're trying to access trucks who are heading into the UK. And they're, they're, they're so proficient at what they do that they almost know from tachygraph regulation the areas that are popular for trucks to stop. And they're able to identify an Irish truck and an English truck registration. They're also able to infiltrate, which is a security deficit for the UK. They infiltrate the toll that we pay in the UK to use their Mm. roads. They put the registration in if they're looking at a vehicle and they're able to recognise whether that vehicle has paid the tax in the UK for the next day. Mm. And so they're, you know, it's all about security. And when you talk about about security and policing, uh, what happens uh, when... When uh, the trucks uh, board ships, uh, are the seals checked as they do? Well, not all containers are sealed. There isn't a requirement currently travelling within the EU for seals. It's up to the company themselves and how you operate and what way you have decided to do business. Mm. There is a t- Post-Brexit, we will have agricultural seals in place. You know, and, and, and that's about the integrity of the product travelling through a third country. But currently, only some cargo operates under seal. And that seal is not supposed to be interfered with by a driver. It's supposed to be only for a customs or a regulatory agency. And, and even at that, mm. the customs don't often break a seal unless absolutely necessary. But they will stamp your paperwork and they will generally reseal the container. But... Our drivers have to check their containers at all times. And that's if the seal isn't broken, that's part of their check. Mm. However, the migrants have come so proficient, they can actually remove the hinges from a trailer. And many of our operators today weld the hinges onto their box trailers. My God. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, there's lessons to be learned, uh, whether... Uh, it will result in uh, this type of thing happening uh, again. I'm not sure anybody would be too optimistic, uh, but we'll leave it there for the moment. Rona, thank you indeed for joining us as thank always. Rona Murphy, President of the Irish Road Haulage Association. The Michael Reed Show. The Minister for Justice wants to strengthen hate speech laws and introduce a new specific offence of hate crime. But before he does that, he wants to hear from uh, the public. And this is because uh, the Minister believes uh, that the current law is weak uh, and belongs to a different era. The incitement to hatred crime was introduced in this country in 1989. A period of public consultation is underway. It was launched yesterday by Charlie Flanagan and to Junior Minister David Staunton and a number of other people, including local Fine Gael councillor Yemi Adenuga, who's on the line. And a very good morning to you, Yemi, and thank you indeed morning, uh, for Michael. joining us here on uh, the programme uh, this morning. What are your thoughts on all of this? 
Well, Michael, um, certain forms of hate speech are already a criminal offence under the prohibition of incitement to hatred Act 1989, which prohibits threatening, abusive or insulting conduct that is intended or likely to stir up hatred against a group of persons on account of perhaps their race or their colour or even their nationality, religion, ethnicity or national orientation, mm. and even for members of the traveler community and sexual orientation. Mm. So while there's been more than 50 prosecutions under the 1989 legislation, and those would mainly have been at the district mm. court level. I know, but that's, a, that's been, over 30 yeah. years, isn't it, Yemi? I mean, it Absolutely. really is very few. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. and yeah. there have been very few convictions. Mm. Now, one of the things um, I discovered is that a number of people feel that uh, what's happening is about migrants. Absolutely not. This is about human rights. Mm. And it's about understanding that when you make an expression uh, towards a person and the intent of that expression um, is, is what we're trying to deal with here. What's the motive mm. for expressing um, a certain um, view about a person? What's mm. that motive behind it? Yeah. Uh, and discrimination of some sort uh, is at the root of it. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Mm. Um, look, hate crime uh, differs from hate speech mm. in that it involves a criminal offence. Mm. It's picking out something that's different about somebody else. Different, to, different, di- different to you. Somebody is gay or they're from the traveller community or they have a different skin colour, different religion, that type of thing. Absolutely. And deliberately targeting that and using that against them and making them feel inferior as a result of that characteristic. Mm. That's what it is. And look, in Ireland, people have asked the question repeatedly, is Ireland a racist country? Is there hate speech or is there hate crime in Ireland? And I've said this over and over again. That's not the question. The question is the things that are happening already, the incidences, how are we dealing with them? There are a handful of people who are inciting hatred. And that's all it takes. Mm. That's all it takes. Mm. If we're not addressing it, Mm. then you get these people beginning to incite more people and convincing them that a certain group of people are the ones who are the Mm. reason for whatever problems or challenges that they're encountering. Well, you've got to ask yourself, what what problems have the people who are acting like this? What problems have they got? And I think there's probably many answers to that. And why are they doing it? Probably many answers to that as well. But definitely one answer uh, that is correct is they do it because they can do it and there's nothing to stop them. You're completely right, Michael. Because there is no law to say you can't do that, then people feel, oh, yeah, I can do it and get away with it. Now, I have heard a number of people sent me messages on Twitter, Mm. on Facebook, on Instagram saying, oh, you want to take away our freedom of speech, and that's what this law is going to do. That's not true. Mm. I'll give you an example. If you're driving on the road and somebody hits your car, then if you decide to express rage Mm. and in return you bash the car and you break the glass, Mm. You can easily say, well, I'm expressing my freedom, my, my feelings. That's my freedom of expression. Well, you, you could if you were mad. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, well, the, these, the, these people have an awful inferior complex. Absolutely. But there's a law in place that stops you from actually doing that. Mm. So you can express how you feel without necessarily getting violent. Mm. And then there's a law that says, no, deal with this 
in a reasonable manner. And mm. that's exactly what this law is going to do. That's exactly what this legislation is expected to do, to say to people that if, you're, if you have something in mind already, if, you have mm. an, uh, uh, if you're going to be derogatory towards people because of a certain characteristics, yeah. then the law is going to say, no, you can't do that. Yeah, well, if you're born with a chip on your shoulder, you can't take it out on other people. Absolutely. That's got, you, Michael, do you know, you're so right. That's got nothing mm. to do with race or colour mm. or ethnicity. Yeah. There are two race, there's only one human race. Yeah. Well, there's only one race, I, and that's I, the I, human I, race. I, I think when people act, only race there is. I, I think when people act that way, it says an awful lot about themselves. Completely true. People have to check themselves sometimes. There is an underlining problem when a person chooses to be completely negative towards another. So I always say mm. it's not on you, the offended. It's on the offender, mm. you know. Yeah. So perhaps we need a reorientation. I think it's a big part of what's about to happen. Um, we do need a reorientation. Yeah, well, this is a period of public consultation. In other words, people are being asked, what do you think and what should happen uh, and how should uh, the government legislate in respect of it? But what do you think? Uh, what should the sanction be for somebody who behaves like that? Well, um, I, I, what, I would, I would, what I would say is we should hear what everyone feels and what everyone has to say. Uh, these will be in three parts, mm. uh, of which everything is expected to be completed by the 13th of December. There's the first part is an online questionnaire hosted by the Department of Justice and Equality mm. themselves. It's on the website. Uh, the second part is a structured set of workshops, and they're designed to hear specifically from minority communities. So this would be through organizations that work with minority uh, communities. They, they're people who are shy, who don't want to come out to talk about their experiences. There's certain people who perhaps even have been threatened and don't feel that confident enough. Yeah. So through the various organizations that work with these people, the second phase will be delivered. And the third part is the public call for detailed submissions and through um, experts. So a certain uh, a research has been carried up with the University of Limerick Okay, uh, we can come back to the details of it uh, in time, Yemi. I have to leave there because we're out of time. But thank you. Nice to talk to you as always. Local Finnegale councillor Yemi Adenuga brings our programme to its conclusion this week. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme on Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye bye. The Michael Reed Show. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.